Chapter Eleven of the Little Colonel's Holidays. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. The Little Colonel's Holidays by Annie Fellows Johnston. Chapter Eleven, A Halloween Party. Nothing worse than rats and spiders haunted the old house of Hartwell Hollow, but set far back from the road in a tangle of vines and cedars, it looked lonely and neglected enough to give rise to almost any report. The long unused road, winding among the rockeries from gate to house, was hidden by a rank growth of grass and mullein. From one of the trees beside it an aged grapevine swung down its long snaky limbs as if a bunch of giant serpents had been caught up in a writhing mass and left to dangle from tree-top to earth. Cobwebs veiled the windows, and dead leaves had drifted across the porches until they lay knee-deep in some of the corners. As Miss Allison paused in front of the doorstep with the keys, a snake glided across her path and disappeared in one of the tangled rockeries. Both the colored women who were with her jumped back, and one screamed. "'It won't hurt you, Sylvia,' said Miss Allison laughingly. "'An old poet who owned this place when I was a child made pets of all the snakes.' and even brought some up from the woods as he did the wild flowers that is a perfectly harmless kind my bay so honey said old sylvia with a wag of her turbaned head what ask by a mole i surely do it's a bad sign to meet up with one right on the doorstep if it wasn't for you miss allison i wouldn't put foot in such a house and I tell you pointedly what I says is gospel truth. If I catch sound of a haunt, so much as even a rustling on the floor, old Sylvia gwine out on a window for you can say scat. Don't catch this old nigger foolin' round long where go she says. Pete's got to go in first and open the house. But not even the rats interrupted Sylvia in her sweeping and garnishing and by four o'clock all the rooms which were to be used were as clean as three of Mrs. McIntyre's best-trained servants could make them. "'Even old miss would call that clean,' said Sylvia, looking around on the white floors and shining window-panes with a satisfied air. Mrs. Sherman had driven down some time before with a carriage-load of jack-o'-lanterns, and was now arranging them in rows on all the old-fashioned black mantles. She looked around as Sylvia spoke. "'It would have been spookier to have left the dust and cobwebs,' she said. "'But this is certainly nicer and more cheerful.' Fires were blazing on every hearth, in parlour, dining-room, and hall, to dissipate the dampness of the long unused rooms. A kettle was singing on the kitchen stove, and tables and chairs had been brought over and arranged in the empty rooms. All that the woods contribute in the way of crimson berries, trailing vines, and late autumn leaves, had been brought in to brighten the bare walls and festoon the uncurtained windows. The chestnuts, the apples, the tubs of water, the lead, and everything else necessary for the working of the charms was in readiness. The refreshments were in the pantry, 
and on the kitchen table Lloyd was arranging the ingredients for the fate cake. "'There couldn't be a better place for a Halloween party,' she said, looking around the room, when all was done. "'No matter how much we romp and play, there's nothing that can be hurt. Won't it look shivery when all the jack-o'-lanterns are lighted, just as if some old ogre of a bluebird lived here, who kept the heads of all his wives and neighbors sitting around on all the mantels and shelves?' It was in the ruddy glow of the last bright October sunset that they drove away from the house to go home to dinner. Even then the grounds looked desolate and forlorn. But it was doubly gruesome when they came back at night. The little colonel and her mother were first to arrive. They had offered to come early and light the lanterns, as Miss Allison was expecting all her nieces and nephews on the seven o'clock train, and wanted to go down to meet them. The wind was blowing in fitful gusts, rustling the dead leaves and swaying the snaky branches of the grapevine until they seemed startlingly alive. Now and then the moon looked out like a pale bleared eye. "'It is a real Tarnoshanter night,' said Miss Allison, as she led the way up the winding walk to the front door. "'I can easily imagine witches flying over my head. Can't you?' she asked, turning to the little group surrounding her. There were eight children, for not only Ranald and his sisters had come with Malcolm and Keith, but Rob Moore and his cousin Anna had been invited to come out from town to try their fortunes at Hartwell Hollow, and spend the night in the valley where they always passed their happy summers. "'Oh, Auntie, what's that?' cried little Elise, holding tightly to Miss Allison's hand, as she caught sight of Lloyd's old popo catapetal, grinning a welcome by the front door. He looked like a mammoth dragon, spouting fire from nose, eyes, and mouth. Elise clung a little closer to Miss Allison's side as they drew nearer. "'What awful teeth it's got, hasn't it?' "'Nothing but grains of corn, dear. Lloyd stuck them in.' "'You haven't forgotten the little colonel, have you? "'She's inside the house now, waiting to see you.' "'Then Miss Allison turned to the others. "'Step high, children, every one of you, "'when you come to the broomstick lying across the door-sill. "'Be sure to step over it, or some witch might slip in with you. "'It is the only way to keep them out on Halloween. "'Step high, Elise. Here we go.' "'That's one of the nice things about Auntie,' Kitty confided to Anna Moore as they followed. "'She acts as if she really believes those old charms, and that makes them seem so real that we enjoy them so much more.' The little colonel, waiting in the hall for the guests to arrive, had been feeling a little shy about renewing her acquaintance with Ranald and his sisters. It seemed to her that they must have seen so much and learned so much in their trip around the world that they would not care to talk about ordinary matters. But when they all came tumbling in over the broomstick, they seemed to tumble at the same time from the pedestals where her imagination had placed them, back into the old familiar footing just where they had been before they went away. Lloyd had thought about Ranald many times since Miss Allison's account of him had made him a hero in her eyes. She could not think of him in any way but as dressed in a uniform, riding along under flattering flags to the sound of martial music. So when Miss Allison called, 
here is the captain little colonel her face flushed as if she were about to meet some distinguished stranger but it was the same quiet ranald who greeted her much taller than when he went away but dressed just like the other boys and not even bronzed by his long marches under the tropical sun the year that had passed since his return had blotted out all traces of his soldier life in his appearance except perhaps the military erectness with which he held himself kitty after catching lloyd by the shoulders for an impulsive hug and kiss started at once to examine the haunted house there'll be mischief brewing in a little bit i'll promise you said miss allison as kitty's head with its short black hair dodged past her and there was a flash of red dress up the stairway she's looking for the ghosts that sylvia told her were up there elise clung to allison's hand for the little sister wanted the protection of the big one in those ghostly-looking rooms lighted only by the fires and the yellow gleam of those rows of weird uncanny jack-o'-lantern faces like kitty both allison and elise had big dark eyes that might have been the pride of a spanish senorita they were so large and lustrous kitty's curls had been cut but theirs hung thick and long on their shoulders the sight of them moved rob to a compliment you and anna moore make me think of night and morning he said looking from anna's golden hair to allison's dusky curls one is so light and one is so black you ought to go around together all the time you look fine together rob is growing up laughed anne two years ago he wouldn't have thought about making pretty speeches about our hair he'd just have pulled it here comes a whole crowd of people exclaimed allison as the door opened again i wonder how many of the girls i'll know oh there's corinne and katie and marjorie and julia forrest why nobody seems to have changed a bit come on lloyd let's go and speak to them i'm glad that everybody's coming early said lloyd so that we can begin the fate cake that was the first performance when the guests had all arrived they were taken into the kitchen under the ban of silence for the speaking of a word would have broken the charm they stood around the table giggling as the cake was concocted out of a cup of salt a cup of flour and enough water to make a thick batter a ring a thimble a dime and a button were dropped into it and each guest gave the mixture a solemn stir before the pan was put into the oven and left in charge of old Mombeck. by that time the two tubs of water had been carried into the hall several dozen apples were set afloat in them with a folded strip of paper pinned to each bearing a hidden name by the time these had been lifted out of their stems in the teeth of the laughing contestants the lead was melted ready to use they tried their fate with that next pouring a little out into a plate of water to see into what shapes the drops would instantly harden strangely enough ranald's took the shape of a sword malcolm's was a lion and keys a ship the little colonel's a star and rob's a spur some could have been called almost anything like the one little elise found in her plate she could not decide whether to call it a sugar bowl or a chicken 
but miss allison explained them all giving some funny meaning to each and setting them all to laughing with the queer fortunes she declared these lead drops predicted they tried all the old customs they had ever heard of they popped chestnuts on a shovel they counted apple seeds they threw the parings over their heads to see what initials they would form in falling they blindfolded each other and grouped across the room to the table on which stood three saucers one filled with ashes one with water and one standing empty to see whether life death or single blessedness awaited them in the coming year in the midst of these games kitty beckoned the boys aside and led them out on the porch what do you think she whispered after all the trouble auntie has taken to plan different entertainments cora ferris isn't satisfied i heard her talking to some of the older girls she told eliza hughes that she expected some excitement when she came and that she was dying to go down cellar backward with a looking-glass in one hand and a candle in the other you know if you do that the person whom you're to marry will come and look over your shoulder and you can see him in the glass the girls begged her not to and told her that she'd be frightened to death if she saw anybody but she whispered to eliza that she knew she wouldn't be scared for she was sure walter cummins was her fate and would have to be down in the cellar if she tried the charm and that she wouldn't be afraid of going into a lion's den if she thought walter would be there and eliza giggled and threatened to tell and cora got red and put her hand over eliza's mouth and carried on awfully silly it made me tired but she's bound to go down cellar after a while and somebody has told walter what she said and he's going just for fun now i think it would be lots of fun to watch walter and keep him from going on some excuse or another and then one of you boys look over her shoulder rob you're the biggest and almost as tall as walter you ought to be the one to go suggested keith down in that spoke cellar demanded rob not much keithy my son i might see something myself without the help of a looking-glass or candle i'm not afraid of flesh and blood but i vow i'm not ready to have my hair turn white in a single night i have been brought up on stories of the haunts that live in that cellar my old black mammy used to live here and she has made me feel as if my blood had turned to ice water lots of times with her tails you go captain said malcolm turning to ranald you've been under fire and oughtn't to be afraid of anything you've got a reputation to keep up and here is a chance for you to show the stuff you are made of i'm not afraid of the cellar said the little captain stoutly but i'm not going to be the one to look over her shoulder into the looking-glass i don't want to run any risk of marrying that fat cora ferris a shout of laughter went up at his answer you won't have to go see said rob there is nothing in those old signs well i'm not going to take any chances with her he persisted backing up against the wall that settled it they could have moved the rock foundation of the house itself easier than the captain when he took that kind of a stand looking at it from ranald's point of view none of the boys were willing to go down cellar 
for they could easily imagine how the others would tease them afterward. Kitty's prank would have fallen through if she had not been quicker than a weasel at planning mischief. "'What's to hinder fixing up a dummy man and putting him down there?' she suggested. "'You boys can run home and get Uncle Harry's rubber boots and his old slouch hat and some pillows and that military cape that Ginger's father left there. And she'll think it is an army officer that's she going to marry. Won't she be fooled?' The boys were as quick to act as Kitty was to plan. A noisy game of blind man's buff was going on inside the house, so no one missed the conspirators, although they were gone for some time. "'We'd just run home a minute for something,' was Key's excuse when he and Malcolm and Ranald came in, red-faced and breathless. Rob and Kitty were still in the cellar, putting the finishing touches to the army officer. Kitty was recklessly fastening the dummy together with big safety pins, regardless of the holes she was making in her Uncle Harry's high rubber hunting boots. "'Isn't he a dandy?' exclaimed Rob, putting the slouched hat on the pillow-head at a fierce angle, and fastening the military cape up around the chin as far as possible. "'Come on now, Kitty. Let us make our escape before anybody comes.' Meanwhile the boys had quarrelled Walter Cummins, and Cora, seeing him leave the room, thought that the proper time had come. Slipping the hand-mirror from the dressing-table in the room where they had left their wraps, she took a candle from one of the jack-o'-lanterns on the side-porch, and signalled the girls who had agreed to follow her. She was nearly sixteen, but the three girls who grouped their way across the courtyard in the flickering light of her candle were much younger. The cellar was entered from the courtyard by an old-fashioned door, the kind best adapted to sliding, and it took the united strength of all the girls to lift it. A rush of cold, damp air greeted them, and an earthy smell that would have checked the enthusiasm of any girl less sentimental than Cora. "'I'm frightened to death, girls,' she confessed at the last moment, her teeth chattering. Yet she was not so frightened as she would have been had she not been sure that Walter had gone down the steps ahead of her. "'Hold the door open,' she said, preparing to back slowly down. Her fluffy light hair stood out like an aureole in the yellow candlelight, and the face reflected in the hand-mirror was pretty enough to answer every requirement of the old spell, despite the silly simper on her lips. When she was nearly at the bottom of the cellar steps, she began the old rhyme. If in this glass's face I see, then my true love will marry me. But the couplet ended in a scream so terrifying, so ear-splitting, so blood-curdling, that Katie dropped in a cold, trembling little heap on the ground, and Elisa Duke sank down on top of Katie, weak and shivering. Cora had seen the pillow-man in the cellar, dropping the looking-glass with a crash, but clinging desperately to the candle. She dashed up the steps, shrieking at every breath. Just at the top she stepped on the front of her skirt, and fell sprawling forward. She dropped the candle then, but not before it had touched her hair and set it afire. The soft, fluffy banks blazed up like tow, and too terrified to move, Elisa Hughes still sat on top of Katie, 
screaming louder than cora had done the sight brought katie to her senses however and scrambling up from under elisa she flew at cora and began beating out the fire with her bare hands cora who had not discovered that her hair was ablaze did not know what to make of such strange treatment her first thought was that katie had gone crazy with fright and that was why she had flown at her and begun to beat her on the head it was all over in an instant and the fire put out so quickly that only cora's bangs were scorched and katie's fingers but slightly burnt but the screams had reached through the uproar of blind man's buff and the whole party poured out into the courtyard to see what had happened there was great excitement for a little while and kitty enjoying the confusion she had stirred up giggled as she listened to cora's startling description of the man that had peeped over her shoulder he didn't look like anyone i'd ever seen before she declared he was tall and handsome and dressed like a soldier oh surely not cora answered miss allison who saw that some of the little girls gathered around her were badly frightened that couldn't be you know the cellar is quite empty give me the candle and i'll go down and show you oh no please auntie don't go down cried kitty seeing that the time had come to confess it is just a halloween joke we didn't suppose that cora would be scared we just wanted to tease her because she seemed so sure that she would find walter down there go and bring him up boys ranald and rob started down the stairs with keith carrying a candle and malcolm calling for walter to come on and help carry out his rival the four boys picking up the dummy as if it had been a real man carried it up the steps and laid it carefully on the ground so comical did it look with its pudgy pillow face that everybody laughed except cora she was furiously angry and not all kitty's penitent speeches or the boy's polite apologies could appease her if it had not been for miss allison she would have flounced home in high displeasure but she as usual poured oil on the troubled waters and talked in such a tactful way of her harum scarum niece's many pranks that there was no resisting such an appeal she allowed herself to be led back to the house but she would not join in any of the games mom beck says i'll have bad luck for seven years because i broke that looking-glass she said mournfully oh nonsense exclaimed miss allison don't give it another thought dear it is only an old negro superstition she might have added that it was to herself and brother the ill-luck had come since it was her silver mirror that was broken and harry's rubber boots that would be henceforth useless for wading because of the holes thoughtless kitty had made in them with safety pins when she fastened them to the pillows refreshments were served soon after they went back to the house not the cakes and ices that usually attended parties in the valley but things suggestive of halloween popcorn nuts and apples doughnuts and molasses candy then the fate cake was cut and everybody took a slice to carry home to dream on eat it the last thing before you retire said miss allison then walk to bed backwards without taking a drink of water or speaking another word to-night 
it is so salty that it is likely you will dream of being thirsty and of somebody bringing you water they say if you dream of its being brought in a golden goblet you will marry into wealth if in a tin cup poverty will be your lot the kind of vessel you see in your dream will decide your fate ah walter got a button in his slice that means he will be an old bachelor and sew his own buttons on all his life anna moore got the dime and elisa hughes the ring which foretold that she would be the first one in the company to have a wedding the thimble fell to no one as it slipped out between two slices in the cutting that means none of us will be old maids said little elise miss allison slipped it on kitty's finger to mend your mischievous ways with she said and everybody who had enjoyed the pillow man laughed the moon was hiding behind a cloud when at last the merry party said good-night so miss allison provided each little group with a jack-o'-lantern to light them on their homeward way as the grotesque yellow heads with their grinning fire-faces went bobbing down the lonely road it was well for tarn o'shanter that he need not pass that way all the witches of allway kirk could not have made such a weird procession well too for old ichabod crane that he need not ride that night through the shadowy valley one pumpkin in the hands of the headless rider had been enough to banish him from sleepy hollow for ever what would have happened no one can tell could he have met the long procession of bodiless heads that straggled through the gate that halloween from the haunted house of hartwell hollow end of chapter eleven read by lars rolander